In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. And I'm Jess Seelove. Yep. My lovely wife, Jess, is once again here, and she is filling in for Michael, who could not be here because, unfortunately, he is choking a dead panda. <gasps> Jess is a social work student and uh, a genius in her own words. So thank you so much for joining us, Jess. Thank you so much for calling me a genius. It's everything I've ever wanted. <laughs> Today, we're going to be discussing the union vote for Amazon in Alabama, and then we're going to discuss some of the most recent instances of police brutality and uh, police killing of, of uh, black individuals within the last few weeks, or at least that we've heard about in the last few weeks. Uh, and then we are going to discuss the Biden administration's recent plan to withdraw completely from Afghanistan. So a lot of really fun topics. I'm excited, Jess. And in an ironic turn of events, talking about the Middle East is actually going to be less depressing. Yeah, that's actually the mo that's the least depressing topic we're going to be covering. I hate the world so much. <laughs> I'm so tired. Yep. Well, before we get into some of the really depressing stuff, uh, let's go over the COVID numbers. Oh. So worldwide, there is uh, 138 million cases, uh, 78.5 million recovered, and 2.97 million deaths worldwide. Um, however, on the good news front, uh, vaccines are continuing to rise. As it stands, uh, at least 460 million people worldwide have had at least one dose, which is about 6% of the entire population. And 180 million people have been fully vaccinated, which is 2.3% of the world's population. In the United States, we have 31.4 million cases overall. That is 563,000 deaths overall, which is an increase of about 1,000 uh, new deaths from last week. And as for vaccines, about uh, 122 million people have had at least one dose. That is 37 percent of the entire population and among people that have been fully vaccinated that is uh, 75 million people and that is 22.9 percent so that is almost a quarter of the entire country fully vaccinated that is great news it turns out that when you remove money as an obstacle from getting something that could prevent damage <laughs> and loss of life related to health um, needs. Americans eat that shit up, y'all. <laughs> yep, that is absolutely true. It's it's almost as if if we did that, less people would die. What if, would we even call that? Yeah, if there was like one pair, like like a, a one person, what one entity that was paying for all yeah. of it. What could that be called? It's like yeah, a, it's like one single pair. Yeah, it's like it's like when there's like a singles night and everyone who's single gets like free drinks, except this would be something that's actually life saving. <laughs> well, I don't know. Free drinks sounds pretty life saving to me. No, literally no. Um, some other interesting news that has come out with regard to vaccines. Uh, apparently, the FDA has uh, recommended a pause 
on the Johnson, the distribution of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. And this came after there were some very rare reports of uh, people dying of blood clots afterwards. However, it is important to note there have only been six cases out of like, what was it, seven million? Like seven million people overall. So one of the things that's important to note for something like this is I would say, you know, the FDA should err on the side of caution. But when we are talking about rare instances, you know, a rare condition such as a blood clot, which can happen to people for a number of different reasons, it often does skew the results. Like there, there are some reports that the AstraZeneca vaccine uh, had some cases in which some people that had taken it had experienced blood clots. However, when they zoomed out and took a larger look at the broader population, not just people who had been vaccinated, but the broader population, they found similar levels of people that had gotten blood clots through the last uh, through the the same time period. So it's very possible that that same thing is going to happen here. Um, but you know, it might make sense to err on the side of caution. In the meantime, there hasn't been anything like that for the Pfizer vaccine or the Moderna vaccine. So as always, we recommend that as soon as you can get a vaccine, try to get it. And if you had a vaccine scheduled that is Johnson Johnson, you might want to reach out and see if they've replaced it. Um, don't cancel that appointment yet. If your yeah. state has paused it, they're not going to try to give it to you against the FDA regulations. Yeah. Um, so yeah, keep keep on trying to get vaccinated. That would be great. Yeah, that is a really important point. As a personal favor to me and me alone. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jess, let's get started by talking about our first segment, which is unions. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> Lots okay. of things to talk about here. So uh, the main reason why we want to talk about this, is, this is brought upon by a recent vote uh, in Bessemer, Alabama, in which there were some Amazon workers that were voting whether or not to unionize for uh, to against harsh conditions for for um, uh, warehouse workers. Uh, the vote failed pretty significantly. It was uh, one thousand seven hundred and ninety eight to seven hundred and thirty eight, which was a one thousand and sixty vote margin. So pretty overwhelming. So the narrative that a lot of people are trying to use, a lot of anti-union people are trying to use to discuss this, is they're taking this and saying, basically, unions just cause trouble, right? These Amazon workers don't need a union. They don't want a union. Unions just get in the way. You have to pay them dues, which takes, which takes some money out of your paycheck. Uh, they can sometimes interfere with your ability to work because... You know, if there's, if there's a strike, you have to just go along with it. Uh, they regulate the amount of hours that you might work, and all of that can get in the way. And on top of all of that, Amazon actually relatively recently raised the minimum wage for all of their workers to $15 an hour. So people are getting a relatively decent wage in Amazon. So this just this vote just demonstrates that the workers at Amazon are happy with what they're doing, they're content with their jobs, and they believe that a union is just going to cause trouble. Let so me... Jess, um, explain to us why that's bullshit. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh, that was rough to hear. <laughs> that's the steel man. Why is it bullshit? So I, I do want to preface this before I get into it, that 
there is a rich and deep and dark history in everywhere, but in the United States with anti-union um, policies and um, brutality and a lot to unpack there. I recommend you follow up on any of this stuff. Um, it's it's wild, y'all. It's <laughs> when cops are not murdering black and brown people, um, especially in their you know early years as an actual profession, they were going around to unions and murdering union workers or organizers um, and people, workers who were on strike or just beating the crap out of them, you know, just not a fan of cops, not a fan. Going to put that on the record. Save that for the, save some of that for the second segment, darling. Oh, I've got plenty. <laughs> My rage fuels me. So, yes, Amazon is the second largest employer in the United States. Walmart is the first. And this particular vote was a mail-in ballot. And it was a little bit different because of COVID. The union organizers, the president of the union that they were trying to join actually said that there were things that maybe they could have done to improve the votes that they simply couldn't arrange. One of them was that Amazon was forcing their employees to go to mandatory town hall meetings several times that were like these hour-long meetings where they would say how bad unions were, how dangerous they were, how predatory, how you don't need them. All of those things that basically Nathan said, but drilled into your head for an hour while you're at work. And they there have been allegations that they actually asked for a local traffic light that's right outside of the warehouse to um, more quickly switch to green basically so that the workers could get out of the parking lot as soon as work was over, which is usually a time when union organizers would try to approach workers to talk with them when they're off the clock. There are tactics that might have been used in the past, such as house calls. House call is when um, union folks will go to an employee's house and talk with them about what they're trying to do. And it's really a place where they can talk to the worker without them fearing that their bosses are, are watching. And they didn't do that because of COVID. And some people have said that the union organizers could have chosen to suit up in PPE and go and visit the homes, to which the president of the union said that they didn't do that in part because they had already had Amazon preemptively tell the employees that if they did house calls, which they thought that the union would do, it would demonstrate that they didn't actually care about the workers' safety conditions during pan the pandemic. Yeah. There's a lot wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, it seems to me like a lot of that should be illegal, probably. So, fun fact about these legalities. There, again, there's a lot to unpack with this, but Amazon actually has a rich history of violating um, laws related to union organizing. They have had many complaints filed with the National Labor Relations Board, NLRB. They've had, I think I read, about 37 to date this year. To put that into perspective, as of February 2020, 
to, um, I believe, March 2021, Walmart, the largest employer, had eight. Walmart, y'all. Wow. Um, They actually did have a settlement from one of these complaints that it was the record was sealed, but the settlement resulted in Amazon being forced to put up a flyer in their warehouses saying specific things about how they could not intimidate workers. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of when I went through the mediation process. I I did this a while back because of a uh, service dog access violation. And I, I can't talk about the specifics of that because of the overall agreement. But what I will say is what often happens is, um, conditions of certain settlements deal in order to make sure that you stay out of court can sometimes involve things like statements of, uh, being in the wrong or statements overall and show of support for, uh, the person who is, uh, registering the complaint. That's very common. Yes. So again, the terms of the settlement were are kept under wraps. But as a result of this settlement, Amazon had to post this flyer. And someone who's worked with unions for many years was talking about how this might really indicate what Amazon was doing because of the specific language. Hmm. I can't read all of it. It is quite extensive. But some of the top things are, we will not express displeasure at having to return to the facility because of your activities and support of the of a union that was specific to this <laughs> we will not restrain or coerce our employees by telling employees that we were disappointed in them for not contacting us directly to ask questions or to resolve issues instead of or before or or uh, instead of or before petitioning for a union election we will not tell you that any gains that the union achieves for you and one component of compensation will be offset by an equal reduction in other components of compensation. That is very specific, so specific that it, if you pulled up to someone and um, they were hitchhiking and you said, do you need a ride? And they said, I will not murder you with an axe I have in my backpack. <laughs> you would probably think that is exactly what they were the going to do. The lady protest too much, methinks. I mean, it, Amazon has a lot of allegations in recent years yeah. of ways that they have intimidated workers away from unionizing and ways that they have um, one employee alleged that after helping to organize workers to display their anxiety and distress at being forced to work under unsafe conditions during the COVID-19 pandemic, he was pulled into an office by an Amazon employee wearing a black vest that told him that where that employee told him that he was former FBI and kept him in that room and interrogated him about how he had managed to organize the people. And then when the employee refused to answer, they changed their tune to say that there had been allegations against the employee that they were harassing people. There was another employee who was written up for insubordination after Amazon had successfully quashed a, an effort to organize in an area and unionize and they had a victory event and it specifically said under the insubordination for not attending this victory event yeah you have been causing a negative impact i mean so so that that, that is would, fascist i mean that would basically be like say you were in a company 
and you were a Democrat and the company was, uh, you know, most people, the, the, the head of the company was a Republican and like a Republican had just won a statewide election. And so the company had a big party and you didn't go to that. And then they reprimanded you for that. I mean, it's ridiculous. That's completely ridiculous. We wouldn't accept that. So Amazon is in desperate need of unionization. Another absolutely amazing example is uh, there have been several reports of Amazon workers, namely uh, delivery drivers, who have straight up had to piss in bottles. So basically, uh, delivery workers, uh, this is according to Vice, delivery workers who drive for Amazon are supposed to deliver 300 packages a day in a 10-hour shift. And if they take too long, they can get written up or fired, which basically means they don't have time to go to the bathroom. They have this insane quota that they have to fulfill in a tiny amount of time. And so what often happens is that they straight up piss in bottles. Now, Amazon has denied this. Right now, I am sitting here looking at a picture of two bottles filled with piss in an Amazon truck. I mean... <laughs> Why would someone make that up? Why would you make that up? I there mean, are other things that you could talk about. And and I think it's important. Also, one, 300 packages in 10 hours. Of course, you're going to piss in a bottle. Yes. And also, I really think you can see a lot of Amazon and Amazon's rebuttal of unions. I really think you can see a lot of guilt there. Yeah. And their actions. For instance, this most recent um, union vote in Bessemer, the... Amazon decided to put up a mailbox on site. They petitioned to have a mail drop-in box put up on site where people had to deposit their votes. And the reason why that shouldn't be allowed and the reason why the union is claiming that that was an interference is that it gives workers the association that somehow Amazon is a part of counting the vote, that they might know that you're voting, um, how you're voting. And also another thing to note is that typically union folks would talk with the workers before it gets to this point of voting and try to inoculate them against outrageous claims that corporations make. I know those outrageous claims. I started work at a place and the very first day they had an anti-union video that was laughable. <laughs> Um, they say things like all of what Nathan has said, that these dues are extreme and they don't really give you anything in return. I will get back to that later. <laughs> and usually you do need to inoculate workers against this because if that's all they've heard and they've also got the added pressure that maybe if they join this union, they will be fired and some of them might not know their laws. And if they work in a right-to-work state, they can be fired. Legally, they are allowed to join a union or to try to start a union. But if you work in a right-to-work state, they can fire you for any reasons. And some employers will remind you of that mm -hmm. as you tell them, oh, no, I understand I can start a union or try to, but I also understand that I can be fired for any reason. So it's important to note that just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that employees are feeling safe to do this. And Amazon, knowing that this was happening, has been doing this corporate propaganda anti-union rhetoric 
very efficiently and very effectively. And they reached out a lot to a lot of employees. And a lot of the early votes were no, because yeah. all they had heard about unions were what were coming from their bosses at the job that they required, like that they rely on for income to support themselves and maybe families. Yeah. So of course, a lot of them ended up voted no. They were being misinformed in sessions that they were forced to go to uh, by their Amazon overlords. And it, it has nothing to do with them not wanting better conditions. It has nothing to do with them not liking unions because they understand unions. It's all about propaganda. It's all about being worried about your job. And I mean, this is just, it's ridiculous that like this is going to be held up as the gold standard of look, workers don't actually want unions. Workers just want unions out of their life. So what are some of the major advantages that come with union ownership? Because Jess, I know that I'm uh, so glad you up, asked. You have some personal experience. Okay. What I need everyone to understand is that one of my first memories with my mother is when I was, I don't know, six years old. And she said something about work. And I said, oh, no, are you going to get fired? And she said, no, I belong to a union. And I said, what does that mean? And she said, it basically means that you shouldn't trust your employer, but I belong to a union, which means they can't fire me for no reason. And... As I got older, I came to understand just how much my mother belonging to a union allowed her to actually raise her two children single-handedly with no financial support and succeed at that. Um, I have verified by text with my mother who worked in a um, chain grocery store that belonged to a union up until I think it was 2018 that her union dues were $23 per paycheck. That was, she was paid weekly. So some months it might be five weeks, some, some months it might be four weeks. God, they're stealing her paycheck. Let me tell you some of the benefits that her union dues paid for. My mother's insurance did not cost her anything. My mother had excellent insurance. Y'all, I dream of the days when I was 23 years old and I could go to the doctor when I felt bad and just be like, okay, sure, 20%, I got $16. My mother's insurance was covered as part of her union dues. Many of you who work full time and have the blessing that is employee employer offered insurance know that for a family of three, you can pay at least $300 per month for your premium not including your co-pays, your deductible, all of that stuff. $23 every paycheck for an adult and two children to be insured really well, including dental and vision. That's wild. Yeah. And not to mention, you know, protections for conditions, negotiations for paychecks. Yes, all of that. And... There are some other things that might come with what your union negotiates for that you might not think of. My mother had sick leave that rolled over every year. I've worked at a job where I had seven sick, sick days per year. And at the end of the year, they would tell you either take your sick days or take the payout. Same with vacation days. Either you take a paycheck for that many days or you take the days. But either way... 
it sets up the new the next year you're at a completely zero. And what many people might know is that you might go a whole year where you don't really need to take a sick day. And then next year you might get the flu and be out for for two weeks. You don't know. Um, my mother, because she had worked there for over 20 years, had accumulated about eight months of sick, sick leave and also vacation, which is what she had to use during a medical crisis. You would not have had that in somewhere where you weren't offered that protection. And that means a whole lot to people when there's a medical crisis. Sometimes people don't have those every year, but when they have them, they really need that pay and they really need that time off. My mother always had free, anonymous advice on how to proceed in abusive worker situations. My mother had some abusive bosses and she could call her union anonymously, tell them what was happening, get advice as to how to proceed. And if she wanted to make a formal complaint and the union rep would sit down with my mother and that boss and come up with, here's how these are, these things are going to work. You are getting protections. It's not just protections from the workplace itself, but sometimes from bosses that might be discriminating against you. And if you say, well, legally, you're offered those protections anyway. <laughs> That's what I have to say. You live in the United States. You should know better. Can I just say that Jeff Bezos is a chalky white turd? The kind of chalky white turds that used to come out of dogs back when dog foods were not as healthy and they had way too much calcium. And so it would solidify and calcify in the sun. And then we'd be like, ew, why is there like a white chalky turd on the sidewalk? That is Jeff Bezos. And that's probably the title of this episode. And now it's time for one of our more lighthearted segments, Tips for Good. So, Jess, why do we do Tips for Good every week? Nathan, we do Tips for Good because sometimes you want just the tip. Just for a second, <laughs> just to see what it feels like. Just just a little bit, just the tip. I mean, I guess I don't even have to say and, you know, for making the world a better place because uh, that already makes the world a better place. I mean, it depends on the tip, doesn't it? <laughs> Nathan, what is today's, this week's tip for good? This week's tip for good is don't call 911 unless it's actually an emergency. Yes, Karen. <laughs> We're talking to you and Susan. And there's a lot of reasons for this. But, you know, of course, one of the biggest ones is the fact that we've all heard many stories of, as Jess pointed out, Karen's calling... Uh, the police on black people doing things like, you know, selling water bottles or crap like that. I want to note, I am using Karen here in a completely gender neutral way because this is not just white women. There is something to be discussed with weaponized white women, but I've met plenty of men who are Karens and I just want to say to them, shut up, Karen. <laughs> so what what can sometimes happen, unfortunately is a calling of the police can escalate a situation. Now, there has been a major push in order to uh, enforce more de-escalation training among police departments, but of course, that's not always the case. And also, interestingly enough, the number of people that frivolous, frivolously call 911 is fairly insane. Now, 
There aren't any national statistics on this currently, but a local Fox News affiliate actually looked into this and they found out that uh, specifically in San Francisco, about 40% of the calls that came in to the emergency line were not emergencies. So we're talking about the music's too loud or some kids selling water bottles or I don't know. The frogs are Someone's, riveting too too loudly. That's oh actually gosh. in this article. Someone is in this apartment building and they say they live here, but for some reason they won't let me into their apartment to look around and find a piece of mail that they can then show me their ID to prove that they live here. What do I do? Yeah. So to put that into context, that means that approximately 257,000 calls to 911 in, and this was in 2016, were not emergencies in San Francisco alone. Now, if that 40% were similar to the rest of the country, that is a lot of frivolous 911 calls. So make sure that when you, if you ever have to call 911, and I have had to call 911 a few times in my life due to, you know, car accidents in front of my house, or, uh, I mean, one time I actually witnessed a car accident on the road and I immediately called 911 because there was an emergency going on. You needed urgent help. Exactly. Of the kind that 911 dispatchers can make sure arrive. And if it's a question of safety... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's but true safety. There's actually one quotation that I want to read from a 911 dispatcher who uh, was talking about this. So, so what what this dispatcher said was, "quote Yeah, and you have to go from hearing a child die in your ear to taking the phone call of the woman who thinks the rap music next door is the worst thing to ever happen to her." What if you just said, "Sir"? Please turn down your music instead of hiding inside and calling the police. And I think that's good advice to apply on a broad level. And I just want to make a note about what safety actually means. Just because you're scared of someone because you think they look scary does not mean you're in danger. Yeah. What you should ask yourself and be as honest as you can is if I called the police and the most incompetent irrational, angry, lackadaisical police officer showed up to handle this, would it still be better than what is already occurring? And if the answer is not an immediate and resounding yes, guess what? You don't need the police. You may see something that makes you uncomfortable. You may need to figure something else out, but you don't need immediate assistance like that. And yeah. you don't need someone who's going to come in there... Because you want them all to be competent, rational, good cops, and such as few, that. And quite a few of them are. But uh, you know, I, I disagree. Is, but quite a few of them are. But it, it you know, you, you never know. Uh, and also keep in mind that you can call non-emergency. Uh, in fact, actually, rather recently, I witnessed an act of vandalism um, from my neighbor. So someone like backed into their uh, into their mailbox and just kind of kept going. And, you know, of course, no reason to call emergency. I called non-emergency. So be aware that that's an option. And also, you know, know your local non-emergency number for cases in which there is no immediate or clear and present danger. And that cop sure was very concerned about property damage. And that's tips for good. So in our next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about 
Some new instances of the excessive use of force by police officers in the last week. And all of this is happening at the same time that the Derek Chauvin, or Chauvin, I, honestly, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but fuck him, he doesn't that deserve. That dumb fucks. Yeah, he doesn't deserve to have his name pronounced correctly. Uh, and it is continuing to get worse, and it is continuing to be a problem, and it continues to be something that needs to be talked about and needs to be addressed. Yes, and again, I will say, at the top of this, I do not believe there is such a thing as a good cop, because as an institution, it is fundamentally racist, completely about protecting all of the wrong things, and less about protecting human rights and bodies, and Nathan and I disagree with that, but we're going to try not to get divorced over a podcast. And this is interesting, because usually Michael in terms of rhetoric, is a lot more moderate sounding, and I usually sound more like a radical. I mean, at the end of the day, we both mostly agree on policy. And I think it's interesting how that dynamic does often shift when I'm arguing with Jess about things. She's actually a lot more of a radical than I am in terms of rhetoric, and actually, honestly, in terms of ideology. In fact, I, ironically, I think Michael and I are closer in terms of ideology than you and I are, Jess. You know, they say that you can't make a relationship with political differences, like <laughs> completely diametrically oppose, uh, opposable differences work. But Nathan and I are brave enough and strong enough to do that. Yeah. Because he's a social Democrat and I'm far, far to the left of that. And he prefer I not say specifically. I'll give you a hint. It's relevant to last week's episode. Anyways, so let's talk. So first I want to talk about an incident that happened in Virginia. This actually happened several months ago. In fact, it happened in uh, December, but it the, the video clip has not been released until just recently. So this happened in Windsor, Virginia. So second lieutenant of the U.S. Army Military Corps, uh, Karen Nazario, who is black and Latino, was pulled over because apparently the cops were not able to see his temporary license. Which, by the way, if you actually watch the video, it's, it's visible in the video itself. You can see it. It's there. So there's no reason to pull him over in the first place. So... I thought their reason was he was driving while brown. Well, I mean, <laughs> off the record. <laughs> um, so he was pulled over by two police officers, and he actually... I would say very cleverly made sure to pull into a, well, he waited for a gas station to pull into. So it was a nice brightly lit area. He put up area. his hazards and went, pulled off at a gas station, which was brightly lit, hoping that that would help offer some protection. But he had not met these two very incompetent and racist police officers. Yeah. So when they, when they pulled him over, um, you can see his hands out the window, so he's he's being very clear that he's not any present danger to these cops. But they pulled guns on him, and they ordered him to get out of the car. Now, in this situation, I mean, he was scared because he was he's a he's a man of color, who and is, police kill them kind of a lot. And p two police officers are pointing guns at him. And he already has his hands out of the car. And the way that he described it later, or the, the way that his lawyer described it later, was he was worried that if he reached down to open his car door or unbuckle his seatbelt, that he was going to get shot. Which, again, they pulled their guns on him for a traffic stop. Yeah. 
if you have been pulled over, and maybe you haven't been, but if you ever have been, you know that you already have to make the determination of where is it safe to pull over. I was pulled over on a back road once really close to my house. And because I was an 18 year old, I panicked and immediately like lobbed off to the side of the road, which um, was not great for my little Volkswagen car that ended up halfway in a ditch. And it's because I was that scared. Yeah. But you have to make the determination of what is safest. And there are issues about your safety and also just safety in general of the road. Yeah, absolutely. It is not evading arrest if you put your flashers on and you pull up the road, I don't know, a mile or a quarter of a mile up the road. Yeah. And one other thing that I think is really telling about this entire exchange is that as as these two police officers had their weapons drawn on this man, who, again had done nothing whatsoever and were ordering him out of the car, he actually said, quote, I'm honestly afraid to get out. And one of the officers responded by saying, quote, yeah, dude, you should be. Which is a threat. That is a threat. Someone is pointing a gun at you and says, you should be afraid. That is a threat. But police officers are allowed to to threaten people. You you are not afraid to to get out. Which is what they're ordering him to do? Like, what the hell? So again, I would just like to point out that if you ever went up to a cop in a car and pointed your gun at them and said, you should get out of the car, and they said, I'm afraid to, and you said, you should be, everyone would say, oh, yeah, you're definitely going to get shot by the cops. And I know that there is this deified... uh, stature for police officers in the United States, which I heartily disagree with, but... There was never any indication of violence, and they just threatened him yeah. while holding a deadly weapon at him. Yeah. Fuck the police, man. Oh. I I do not endorse that statement. No, don't but... actually fuck them. They don't deserve it. Stop <laughs> rewarding this behavior. I, I, I do not endorse that statement. But it, it, is, it is super important to recognize that these particular cops and, you know, the, the system of policing in general does have many institutional problems in which need to be addressed. And one of the biggest ones is the fact that, first off, why do we need people with guns to respond to traffic stops like this? I mean, first off, this stop shouldn't even, uh, shouldn't even have happened, but even if, we are, if, even if we are talking about somebody who is driving with an expired plate or driving without a plate, why do we need a person with a gun to be the one that pulls them over? What's interesting, too, is that what would usually happen if you get pulled over and that's a decent interaction is you're either going to get a warning or you're going to get a ticket and you'll have to deal with it. If you're just doing a simple violation of your tags are expired or something. So why is it since they've already run your plates often when in those situations they run the plates Why is it that we couldn't have a system where, I don't know, you get something in the mail telling you, by the way, you have until then to pay this or else you will face consequences with regard to your license, which already happens. It's complete and utter. It's I would say it's like a sort of security theater, but it's much grosser than that. It's really about enforcing that fascistic need to um, put your put your foot on um other people well i mean some 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 might argue that part of it is trying to get that person off the road or at least get that person to you know pulled over so that they're no longer driving like that um but yeah i can definitely see the logic there and just just like take a picture of the license plate and then 
mail them a ticket. I mean, that's what you do when somebody like runs a red light. As a side note, have you ever been driving along a highway and a cop has pulled someone over and it's been a safer situation because all of a sudden everyone slams on their brakes to make sure that they're going way under the speed limit and moves over into one lane. It is not safer. Yeah. I've seen cops pull out in front of cars with like 30 foot clearance and people have to slam on the brakes on the highway. This is getting into a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, so let's let's yeah. finish let's finish what happened. So this interaction actually ended with the police officers pepper spraying this man and handcuffing him and arresting him. And his was, dog was in the car. And his dog was in the car. They 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 pepper sprayed him and his dog was in the car and his dog got like you know which some of the some of the really brunt of really that, bad, which is really bad for dogs, like. This, this Cops are actually really horrific to dogs, which is something I always think about yeah. when Nathan is driving around with his service dog. Yeah, for those of they you who don't do know, murder I, I dogs do quite dog. often. Yeah. And, and that is, that is definitely concerning. So, uh, the primary police officer in question has already been fired and, um, uh, Nazario has filed suit against, uh, both of the officers. So this brings us to another more tragic event that happened just recently where a, a 20 year old black man named Dante Wright was killed by Brooklyn center police officer, uh, Kim Potter. So basically what happened was Wright was initially pulled over for expired tags. And this happened, uh, this Sunday. And when they pulled him over, they realized that he actually had an outstanding warrant and that the warrant was for a failure to appear in court on charges that he fled from police officers uh, and possessed a gun without a permit. Uh, This happened in Minneapolis in June. Um, The body camera footage shows, and this is all according to uh, the Associated Press, body camera footage shows that uh, Potter approached Wright as he was standing outside of his car as another police officer was arresting him. Um, He attempted to get back into his car and uh, Potter started shouting, quote, I'll tase you, I'll tase you, taser, 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 and then took out her handgun and shot him with a gun. So the argument that is being made right now is that she thought, she, she, she meant to pull out her taser to tase him and instead pulled out her gun and killed him. She has since been charged with second-degree manslaughter, which comes with a maximum sentence of 10 years. So what's important to note about second-degree manslaughter is intent is not necessarily taken into account. So again, this is according to the Associated Press. It can be applied to a circumstance where a person is suspected of causing a death by culpable negligence that creates an unreasonable risk and consciously takes chances to cause a death. So, I mean, even if we, I feel like it's definitely difficult to judge what the intention here was, but at the same time, that's pretty um, negligent to not know which one's your taser, which one's your handgun, which side note, tasers are also lethal. Stop shooting people with them when you're not using lethal force. That's actually a really good point. So there was, um, Jesus. So, uh, Reuters actually did a study about that uh, in which 
they it, they did this study in 2019 and they found that at least that 49 people died in 2018 after being shocked by police with a taser. There is also just in general an issue with police officers either not knowing how they are supposed to use quote unquote non-lethal methods or they are choosing not to, such as rubber bullets, which are actually intended to be shot at something like concrete and bounce into the person. You're not yeah. meant to shoot them point blank at the people, you fucking morons. Yeah. Or also, just you fucking fascists. Whichever one, both, maybe. Also, uh, the Associated Press also points out that uh, experts have actually um, stated that the accidental mistaking of a gun for a taser is super rare and occurs nationwide only like once a year. So, I mean, it's possible that this could be that once, but uh, the attorney representing the Wright family is making the argument that, no, she knew exactly what she was doing. She, she murdered a black man. And why should she think she'd ever have to face a consequence when so many of her brothers in blue don't? Yeah. So I think, look... I don't know what was inside her head, but at the very least, it is clear that there is culpable negligence here. I mean, great incompetence at least. I mean, for and one of the one of the craziest things about this story is this woman had she was a 26 year veteran and the two officers that were with her, she was training them like she was a training officer, like she was supposed to be a teacher that these people were looking up to and she she pulls out a gun instead of a taser? I mean, Jesus Christ, that is, again, at the best, that is insane negligence. And I think that this is, again, relating to what, what do cops always claim after the fact? They were just so scared they couldn't tell their ass from their elbow. And there's a really cogent point to be made about how if the police are trying to detain you and you run or you swing an elbow because someone's restraining you and you're terrified, you are guilty of evading arrest or assaulting a police officer. You don't get out of those charges simply because you were terrified. Yeah. Rightly so. It's insane that police officers who are meant to be trained specifically for these incidents to not make these mistakes are getting away with it. It's sort of like if you were supposed to be having a surgery and the surgeon said, oh my gosh, I thought that I was supposed to, um, you know, remove your gallbladder, but instead I actually ended up uh, opening up your entire chest cavity and um, trying to do things to your heart because I, I got kind of scared and nervous and I just make mistakes when I'm nervous. Nobody would sit down for that. Nobody would say, oh, that's that's completely understandable. And we understand. They would say, yeah, you are losing your license. And what you've done is horrific and yeah. not allowed. And you will face ramifications for that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think the standards that we give to police officers should at least be on par with the standards that we give to our medical professionals. Beyond I mean, that... <laughs> 
if police officers are going to occupy a space where many people um, see them as gods walking among us and don't tell me they don't, I've seen people stop their eating their lunch when they see a police, a uniformed police officer walk in and run across to the counter so they can pay for that person's lunch because they appreciate what they do for this country or whatever. If you want to see police officers as, you know, the these um, superheroes walking around, then you have to hold them to standards where you don't just say, ah, oh, but, you know, they're just these poor kids who make mistakes. Yeah. One thing that I think is really important to note about this entire segment. The last thing that I want to say here is the point of these segments in which we talk about instances of either gross negligence or wanton murder or disregard for the safety of the civilians that these police officers are sworn to protect. The point is not so that we can demonize individual police officers or whatnot. The point is to make it clear that there are major, widespread institutional issues in training, in the training of police officers, and the way we view them, like, like Jess had pointed out, in the overall way that we think of our interactions with police officers. I mean, the argument that if you, you know, if you just followed what the police officer said, you wouldn't get shot. Let's break that down for a second. So what you're basically implying is, number one, you know, to, to Jess's point, civilians who do not have training for life-threatening situations should be more calm in a potentially life-threatening situation than a police officer who is supposed to be trained to be in life-threatening situations. That is an insane and just monumentally dumb point. And number two, and, you know, I, this is where I would say that the rhetoric starts to become a little bit fascistic, is you're basically saying that not following the order of a police officer is an offense punishable by death. It's state-sanctioned murder. Exactly. You're allowed, we imbue you with a license to kill. That's, you know, it's funny, was 007 a cop? <laughs> Do we say that? I bet he was. You know what? That makes sense. I mean, he was more of a secret agent, but but anyway. Oh, no, no, no. The, Apparently he had a license to kill, which means he must have been a cop. The point is, of course, people, you know, police officers need to defend themselves. And there might be some cases in which a police officer does have to use lethal force in order to defend themselves or in order to defend uh, those around them. That can happen. And when that happens, I would feel so much more comfortable if that police officer had a good amount of training that number one, attempted de-escalation, but number two, when we got to the point in which de-escalation was no longer possible, they were able to end the situation as quickly as possible with the least amount of damage. And just to Nathan's point about this being a systemic issue, on that we do agree. We have slightly different ideas about the outcome, but... If you understand anything about how police officers are trained, they are trained ever increasingly that there are threats lurking around them. It's an us versus them mentality and United States people are basically insurgents and you're occupying their country. And so you have to assume that violence will come at you from every angle. Fuck you, David Grossman. Your mother even hates you. Yeah. Yeah. You should definitely look up David Grossman. He 
I mean, his last name says it all. And now it's time for one of our favorite segments, Asshat of the Week. Nathan, who the fuck is our asshat? Because there's a lot of contestants. <laughs> yes, there are. Uh, but our asshat this week goes to Florida Representative Matt Gates. Matt Gates, come on down, my friend. Ugh. What's interesting is Michael and I had actually been planning on having Matt Gates be our asshat last week, but then Mitch McConnell just gave us that beautiful Dershowitz bag award. Oh, didn't and... you know, like Matt Gates has rollover um, points, so he gets asshat points throughout the year. If you don't use them <laughs> one month, they roll over to the next. If you don't use them, you, you don't lose them. That is true. That's true. Yeah. So unless you've been living under a rock... You have probably been hearing Matt Gates's name quite a bit. So he is the creepy Florida representative who is currently being brought up on federal charges of sex trafficking and an alleged sexual relationship with a 17-year-old girl. Yes, as yeah. we said, very gross. <laughs> very gross. So basically Just terrible. So basically this guy is accused of uh bringing this 17 year old girl across state lines and basically having her there as his sexual toy. Um, what? and he's also been accused of, uh, several instances of basically using the cash app in order to, uh, procure girls. I, I mean, that's a disgusting way of putting it, but that's basically what happened. Wait, wait, wait. He's using the Cash App? Yeah, he was using the Cash App. Okay, now we want to tell you about our sponsor, Cash App. <laughs> Cash App Just is kidding. Not we a, don't have sponsors. We don't, Someone we don't sponsor. Have, we, don't, <laughs> we don't have sponsors. Please give my husband money. You know, I'm, I feel like... We I live feel, in capitalism. It's hell. Please give him money. I feel like the Cash App would not want to sponsor us after talking about how their app was They need to reform to... <laughs> their image. The cash I mean, app. It's what all the cool anti-capitalists so, are using. So basically there are, there actually, there's actually a paper trail of financial, um, uh, financial transactions between Matt Gates and, uh, his friend who is a, a former tax collector named, uh, Joel Greenberg, who right now is being indicted on multiple charges once again. Um, and look, if this were just, he paid off, sex workers that are were of legal age in order to have sex with him. I wouldn't give a shit. I don't think anybody should give a shit. People probably would, but I wouldn't. What yes, I care about but... is the fact that these were trafficking victims. Well, these also... were underage girls. Also, we you know, there also even if these people are in their own state of the legal age to consent to sex, which again, they went over state lines, so that doesn't even matter. Yeah. I would also emphatically agree with Nathan that this should, this is not an anti-sex worker thing for us, yeah. but a minor cannot consent to sex work. You will yeah. never convince me that they can. They might consent to a sexual relationship, but they cannot consent to sex work. Yeah. Well, and especially not a sexual relationship with a guy that's much older and in Congress. God, it's just so gross. Why can we not? Ha Why can't we have a nice Congress that's not full of gross people? And also, I know why, because I've, you know, learned a little bit about American history. <laughs> yeah. And, and what's funny about this is his whole approach to this, his whole defense is, oh, this is cancel culture. These people are trying to cancel me. Trying to cancel you. Bitch, I haven't begun to cancel you. You'll know when I fucking cancel you. Dude, like, 
don't act like you're standing up for the for the downtrodden. You're a pedo, dude. <laughs> like um, you're a sex trafficker. That's not cancellation. And if that is cancellation, then that is proof. Oh my that gosh! The term you, cancel culture means fucking nothing. Did you hear about how they have decided to cancel Woody Allen? <laughs> oh wait, wait! Woody Allen still actually is really positively revered and respected, even though he was a pedophile and really gross. Oh my gosh! It's almost like cancel culture doesn't exist, and it's just like the bullshit political correctness of the '90s that every comedian thought he was so fucking funny for making fun of. <laughs> And most of those comedians were actually me too. So yeah. So, anyways, congratulations to Florida Representative Matt Gates for being our ass hat, hat of, of the, the week. week. Nathan, tell me some good news. Yes. Question mark. Exactly. Our final segment is very exciting for me. Because uh, Joe Biden has now announced his plan to leave Afghanistan completely by September 11th of this year. I didn't know he had gone. When did he go? (laughs) I could not be happier about this. Now, there are some caveats that I would like to I think you could be if it happened earlier. I I do think you could be. That's that's a good point. I think you were wrong about that. I think I could see several situations in which I could be happier about this. Yeah, that, that... um, but it, but it is much ne- needed, and it is something. And at this, in these dark times, we cling to any string of light. Yeah, that 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 is a good point. And actually, it it is it is important to note that this is actually a pushback of a withdrawal deadline by the Trump administration. So, the Trump administration had previously in uh, in January reduced the number of troops from four thousand to 2,500. And I believe we might have talked about that on the pod at the time, and I think I actually gave him a little bit of credit for that, although that isn't a withdrawal, it's important to note. Um, but yeah, previously, I remember that. Previously, he had actually negotiated an agreement with the Taliban where he would have all troops withdrawn by May 1st. Now, the Biden administration decided that that wasn't practical. Now, I... Could you potentially criticize the Biden administration for pushing back the deadline of withdrawal from May 1st, September 11th? Yeah, probably. You can criticize them for anything if you try hard enough, and I often do. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and if you listen to this show, you know that I am I have no love for Joe Biden when I praise him for something. It's... At best, you have, like, a neutral tolerance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> A neutral tolerance when he does good things. And when he does good things, I'm willing to give him credit. And I'm, you know, I'll criticize him where he falls short, but I'll give him credit when he does something that I think is is good. It's like when your racist uncle says something that's like actually the way you're supposed to phrase these things. And you're like, hey, good for (laughs) you. You were like sensitive when you asked a question instead of being terrible. Yeah. So predictably, the vultures have descended upon this. There have been several... I mean, almost every single Republican and several Democrats have basically been saying, oh, my God, if you pull out of Afghanistan, the entire war effort was for nothing and everything's going to be terrible and terrorism is going to come to the United States and they're going to attack us. I think what they're trying to say is pulling out doesn't work. Standing up does. (laughs) Yeah, that's 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 a really good way to summarize it. So here's why that's bullshit. So first off, it's important to note that 
they don't have the resources to attack us. We have been in Afghanistan for 20 years. 20 years! And what the Biden administration is basically arguing, which I think this is the right way to go about arguing, is that as it stands, there's just, there's no mission accomplished. There, There's no end goal. There's yeah. nothing. It's been... A shit show, yeah. as one of our favorite shows. So so the Taliban has been waging an insurgent war against the, uh, the uh, U.S.-backed Afghan government since they were overthrown after our invasion in 2001. And as it stands, they haven't been able to overthrow the government, but basically not much has really changed. Like, they're a ragtag group of insurgents that have really accomplished not much. So the idea at this point that Biden is arguing is there's not really an end goal. And the ways in which that we can help Afghanistan will be primarily through the providing of humanitarian aid, providing of financial support, than it would be through the military. And I think that's absolutely right. And I think based on uh, the way he's going about doing this, um, I think that in a lot of ways he has, at least he has come to his senses. So he's also basically saying that he's going to make this unconditional. So we are going to be out on September 11th, come hell or high water. Interesting and, that they choose that date. I yeah, can't that tell, is interesting. I can't tell if that was someone's genuine attempt to honor. Oh, I think it was. That, or if it was more of a... Um, cynical like publicity thing of like how great the headlines will read you know 20 some years to the date of this joe biden brings it home i mean yeah. i'm I, I tend to see uh, yeah. negative things so it could just be me being too cynical but i don't know and in, in either case we're definitely going to remember the date yeah and this is one of i believe that this is the longest military occupation that the united states has ever had it's again 20 years there are people that were not born on that, that were not born before 9/11. You know, it's that a, are serving in Afghanistan. It's interesting insane. because Nathan and I being millennials are defined by our ability to remember 9/11, which yeah. I I do sort of. I was telling Nathan before we prepped for the show that I really am so accustomed to um United States interference in Middle East countries as a background for our country and that's not to diminish yeah. what's happening but even before 9-11 there was the first gulf war there's desert storm there's kuwait like i just in the back of my mind i'm just always assuming yeah. that the u.s is sticking its big fucking nose into the middle east trying to sniff up a whale yeah no that that's that's a good point and, and also the argument that people are making is just so antithetical to the obvious reason why we've been in afghanistan they're rich in mineral wealth, all right? We're protect they're there to protect contractors. They're there to protect our economic interests. If you honestly think that we care about whether or not they're a democratic government, I got a bridge to sell you. That's insane. And it's also important to note the history of Afghanistan and the ways in which we have repeatedly fucked things up. I mean, honestly, that can be said for the Middle East in general. So let's talk about the Taliban for a second. Let's talk about the history of the Taliban. Just before you get into that, um, Nathan and I 
happen to live in an area that has um, a slightly higher percentage of Afghani immigrants that you might expect than you might expect. And that's because there are a lot of refugees who come here. And typically the United States only grants refugee status to people from other countries if we've fucked things up. They yeah. don't tend to care just... Um, about things that have happened that have made someone seek refuge. It's usually us trying to cover up what they what they like to call something like a diplomatic um, fumble or something like that. Yeah, yeah. The Taliban originated in the early uh, 1990s. Back then, they were part of the Afghan Mujahideen group. Uh, they were basically um, uh, Islamic extremist guerrilla fighters that were resisting the invasion of the Soviet Union of Afghanistan. Uh, by the way, this is all according to the Council on Foreign Relations. So, basically, the Soviet Union was invading Afghanistan and the Mujahideen were, were um, fighting back against them. And so the United States comes in and they're like, hey, we're going to support your effort. So we helped to arm the Mujahideen uh, we provided support for them with the from the CIA. And what eventually happened is uh, the Taliban gained a lot of power because of our support. And that basically led them to try to take over the uh, the Afghan government. So in the post-Soviet Union era, they seized the capital city. So in, in 1996, the, the Taliban seized the capital city of uh, Kabul from the president at the time, and they instilled a theocracy. So one thing to note about the Mujahideen is that, yes, you know, they were fighting against the Soviet Union, but they were also Islamic extremists. So when they took over, they imposed a theocracy, which meant that they um, started having prohibitions on behavior that were deemed as anti-Islamic. They required women to wear burqas from head to toe. They banned music and television. And they also jailed men whose beards were deemed too short. Mm -hmm. So again, these were the people that we armed. They and uh, that we armed and, you know, gave a pat on the back. And then they basically used it to overthrow their own government. And then they turned against us. And this is what we would go on to say. We've got to fight them because look what they're doing to this country. And this is for, um, you know, this is for oppressed bugs everywhere. Uh, because the United States really is a big fan of pretending like we're jumping in to save the day of our own fuck ups. Yeah. And if we just happen to get access to a lot of oil, well, I mean, you know, you have to pay your hero somehow. Yeah. So after 9-11, uh, it was uh, discovered that um, the Taliban within uh, Afghanistan were actually protecting Al-Qaeda and had strong uh, ties to Al-Qaeda. Now, it wasn't the Taliban that actually flew into our buildings, but they were protecting Al-Qaeda. And so we invaded Afghanistan and we overthrew the Taliban government and tried to install a uh, U.S.-backed Afghan democratic government. And after the Taliban were overthrown, they continued to wage an insurgent war against the United States. So at its height, the United States had 100,000 troops in Afghanistan. The Obama administration was able to cut that to around uh, 8,500 troops when he left office. And under Trump, that has reduced to 2,500 troops. So 
The reason why I'm explaining this history is to point out the fact that the United States has a long history of number one, exploiting the region in order to take advantage of mineral wealth. But number two, when we back people, it tends to backfire. And honestly, the longer we stay there, the more likely it is is to uh, to backfire on us. Yeah, our interference is generally so either inept or so discolored by our own our you know government's own um, corrupt intentions that it is just such a clusterfuck. Yeah, and these are real people being harmed by that. That's actually. When I mentioned that we live in an area with a higher rate of refugees, I've known one and she tries to explain how people misunderstand, you know, who she is because she's from Afghanistan. She'll say that she's terrified for a sister of hers who's a judge and she'll say the Taliban does not like women who work and my sister gets bomb threats and I'm always afraid for her and there's not enough security and I don't understand why people are always fighting wars in my country. Someone can have to under to explain this to me. I don't understand. Yeah. And and the reason is we armed them. We armed the Taliban for our own gain. Uh, which at the time was the Mujahideen. And yeah, it was for our own gain and we really ended up destabilizing the the country. Now, look, I would say that if we're talking about um, if we're talking about foreign aid, it completely makes sense to continue to provide humanitarian aid to the Afghan government and to uh, diplomatically promote democracy in Afghanistan. I think that's absolutely that's absolutely true. But there's not really much we can continue to uh, to do with a continued troop presence. I mean, one of the other points that the Biden administration made was we went in there to get bin Laden mission fucking accomplished. And it's been accomplished. <laughs> it was accomplished years ago. So at this point, I would say that this is one of the most obvious things in the world. And I was really concerned that Biden becoming president would just be a continuation of the military industrial complex. And it looks like at least in terms of Afghanistan, that might not be the case. Now, one thing that I would like to note. We got to wait and see. We got to wait and see if this actually happens because there is unfortunately a long history of Joe of, Biden. Well, not just Joe Biden. Well, yeah, but any president. Like presidents, politicians pledging to get out of Afghanistan to end things in Afghanistan. Obama said it a few times. Trump said it a few times. It didn't happen. I'm hoping that this time is different. And if it is, I will give Biden a world of credit. And I will actually, I will point to this as something that I am legitimately impressed with. Because like one of the biggest criticisms that, one of the biggest reasons why I argued for Bernie Sanders over Joe Biden back during the primary was because I trusted Bernie Sanders more on foreign policy, specifically because of Bernie Sanders's vote against the Iraq war and Joe Biden's anti -war. vote for the Iraq war. Yeah, anti-war. But at the end of the day, what matters is policy going forward. And if the Biden administration does have an anti-war policy going forward, which, you know, ideally is uh, done in a smart way, in a um, in a non-reckless way, then I will give him a world of credit for that. And I will be very happy to call him my president the day that we get out of Afghanistan.
it's time to end the pod with our highlights. So Nathan, what's your highlight? Well, my highlight this week is similar to highlights that I've had in other weeks, and that is the fact that uh, this week I have spent a lot of time watching speeches in various classes that has continued, and the speeches that I've seen have continued to impress me, have continued to amaze me, and as a teacher, I am super proud of my students, and I really, I really do hope that they continue to use the skills that they've learned in the class and apply it to future interactions and future speeches. So Jess, what is your highlight? I think a sort of mixed bag highlight of this week was that we got to go and see your family um, and be with your family and your brother and um, his girlfriend. uh, And well, we got to go and see your family and be with your family it was a really difficult time but we got to all be together your brother and his girlfriend and your dad and your mom and so that was kind of a mixed bag because of the reason we were connecting but it was it was comforting to be able to see them and to be there with them yeah yeah and with that thank you so much for listening to the perspectrum and you'll hear from us again 